Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the AME Radio Show. We got a great show for you guys today. We have two great guests coming on. We have Tommy C, who has had over a 40-year span rocking crowds. He has a brand new band called the Black Widow Grease Band, and we're going to be talking to him about his brand new single called I Believe. And then we have Daniel Derschlag on. She is an artist, a filmmaker, and an educator, and we're going to be talking about her brand new short film called Eleanor of Illinois. It's a six-minute film, and it's amazing how she got it done. So let's get it started. You're about to enter a world of creativity and mingle with people that follow their dreams to color your world and brighten your day. From top celebrities to rising stars of tomorrow on the AME Radio Show. The show that is the voice of artists and entertainers everywhere. Now, here is your host, Jason Dowd. All right, guys, we got a lot of ground to cover tonight. I'm not going to talk too, too much because I really want to get into these interviews. I want to hear the music that we have coming up for you, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So... I want you to guys to check out our website. It's www.theamemagazine.com. And when you're there, you'll be able to see everything that you've ever could experience on the AME Experience, which is our television, radio, and magazine. If you miss something, it's up there. If you want to see what we got coming on, it's it's up there. Uh, there's links to our social media networks. You can download our apps for our Apple or Android platform completely free. Sign up for our newsletter and more. So go up there and be inspired. That's really what we're here to do. We're here to inspire you. We're here to be a voice for artists and entertainers everywhere to show you what they have going on in their lives and also tell you their story because they have been able to make it happen for themselves. They've overcome the odds, and if they can do it, I know you can do it too. It's not It's not that we can't. It's just that we always think we can't. We, we literally are the wall to our own success sometimes. So listen to their stories, be inspired, and they'll tell you they can do it too. They went through some tough times, but they did it. And uh, I believe that if we all put ourselves and stop doubting ourselves, we can we can accomplish just about anything we put our minds to. Okay, so um, again, I'm not going to get into too, too much here. I know this weekend is the AFC and NFC Championship game. It's going to be the uh, Green Bay Packers against the San Francisco 49ers, which should be really a good game. And on the other side, we had a surprising upset. We had the Tennessee Titans upset the Baltimore Ravens and knocked them out of the, knocked them out of the playoffs. And then it looked like it was going to be a great game and then a blowout. Uh, it was going to be a blowout, a great game, blowout with the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans. And it happened to be the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs that came out victorious in that. So they will be squaring off against the Tennessee Titans. You know, Tennessee Titans have this one guy named Henry. Uh, he's a running back. And, man, he is unstoppable. I mean, I literally see him getting about 10 yards a carry right through the middle. Six, seven guys just bowls him over like he's bowling. Um, he's going to be a hard one to deal with, uh, and I think the Tennessee I think the Tennessee Titans might actually go pretty far. I don't know who's going to win the Packers and the and the 49ers game. They're both pretty even, so uh, we'll just kind of take it as it comes. But you know what? Good luck to all the teams out there, and if your team's in it, congratulations. And uh, this is the next step before the Super Bowl. So whoever wins this is going to the Super Bowl, people. All right, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have our first guest, Tommy C., coming on. We're going to be talking to him about his band and his brand new single called I Believe. You're going to hear it here, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. I'm Gladdy, the dachshund, the face of Gladdy's goodies. Aren't you worried about your pet's health? My parents were too, especially since I developed pancreatitis. 
They couldn't find any treats I could eat, so they made some. Our natural treats are healthy for all dogs, with and without health issues. We have lots of delicious flavors like chicken, turkey, salmon, sweet potato, beef, and more. With our homemade treats, you won't worry about the contents because they have no chemicals, fillers, or bad ingredients. Go to gladdiesgoodies.com now to get your fur friend a bag and pick them up some swag while you're there. You'll be glad you did. Remember, we have the treats and swag to make their tails wag. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Hi, I'm Andy Allo, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. Sam Cooke singing on the radio You say that I'm the boy Who can make it all come true Well, I'm telling you that I'm Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. You know what? We have music uh, going to be uh, the focus of today's show. And we have somebody in here that has had a career span over 40 years. That's incredible, and he's been, he's been on the stage with some of the most incredible names I've ever seen, and he's got a brand new band out called Tommy C. and the Black Widow Grease Band, and we're going to be talking to him about a his new stuff that he's got coming out, we're going to be talking to him about his, his career so far, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about his brand new uh, single that's come out called I Believe, which we will be playing at the end of the interview, so you're definitely going to want to listen to this whole thing, we've got a lot to cover. Welcome to Tommy C., how you doing? Hey man, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Everything's good. I'm out here in sunny California and just, just enjoying it, man, rehearsing this new band. And it, it's exciting. It's kind of like a start of a new life. So there's a lot of fire, a lot of passion, a lot of energy going on here. Oh, yeah. I could, I could feel that, especially with something new. You know, it kind of revives you. It gets you back into the, into the feeling of it. And if you happen to lose any of that uh, momentum or some of that passion that you have for it, that new, that new release on, on it can give you a complete outlook and just spark it for a whole new generation. It's exciting. It's exciting. You know, you mentioned I was in the business 40 years, so yeah. I guess I can't tell the audience I'm 37 years old, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody will notice. <laughs> no, no. You know, just thinking about that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of musicians and I've worked with a lot of bands and, you know, sometimes it's just, it, if they go five, six years, it, it's, it's, a, it's a milestone for them. And to go 40 years or more is incredible. And a lot of people can't even fathom that. What do you actually attest your success to? I attest my success to, you know, it's, it's really all about, you know, in the end, it's the audience, right? The hard part is, is getting to the gig, the preparation, you know. But once you get on that stage, and whether you're on stage for 90 minutes, two hours, three hours, 45 minutes, that's what makes it all worth it. It's all the labor you put into it, all that sweat and toil. That's really the prize at the end of the day, the show and the audience. So that's what I focus on because, you know, I learned all this stuff from some of the masters of, of, of rock and roll, and all of them were the great, great, great entertainers, you know. And I and that's, that's the area that I to be at I, I want to be a great entertainer with great you know for, you know promoting great songs all the time that's what I do 
you know, I, like I said, I was, I was going through your bio and I saw some of the amazing people that you shared the stage with. Tell some of, some of the people, some of the people you shared stage, the stage with. And also, if you have any cool stories about some of those, we'd love to hear them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've shared the stage with some of the greats of rock and roll, what I call the originators, you know. The guy, you know, guys that started it all, the Chuck Berries, Little Richards, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Bo Diddley. All these guys, I you know, I, I I played with, I backed up, I did shows with them. I spent, I believe, about nine years with Chubby Checker as his uh, musical director and tour manager and all of that. And I, you know, I, I learned a lot from all these guys. And there's so many stories. Some of them I probably couldn't say on the air, but uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got I've got some great ones. But I I will give you a little quick one right here. Is that okay? I'd love it. Let's go ahead. Okay. Well, the first time. We ever had a chance to back Chuck Berry? I believe it was 1990. Okay, and I had a band at that time called the Tommy C Band, and it was, it was kind of similar to what I'm doing now, a little bit different. But uh, we had a show that was booked in Florida, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You're part of the woods, right? Yes. And uh, we were from Detroit, right, the Motor City. So on that show was supposed to have been. Del Shannon, you might not know all these guys, I don't know, I think you do. Del Shannon, Jack Scott, who's kind of a country rockabilly guy who just passed away, by the way, he's a good friend of mine. Um, Freddie Boom Boom Cannon. Wow. And the headliner of the show was none other than Chuck Berry, right? Right. And two weeks before that show, unfortunately, Del Shannon, who had the song Run Away, Hats Off to Larry, all those great songs, he committed suicide. And that was very, very sad. So he was not on the show. So that's that's the downer of the of this whole story. Uh, the good part of the story is um, we drove down nonstop in Detroit to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with the intent on we're going to open this show. It was going to be in a great big field, and they expected twenty thousand people. Okay. However, a lot of things came into play here. We get down there, and by the way, we're supposed to open the show back. Jack Scott backed Freddie Cannon, and then Chuck Berry used to have another band back him because he never wanted the same band that was on his show to back him. He wanted a different band. So the promoter in Florida at that time got a local Florida band to back Chuck Berry. Well, we get down there, and there's a torrential storm, like wind 60 miles an hour, blowing everything around, drenched. It was, the gig was going to be in this great big field. We thought it was going to be a washout. And the promoter was very worried because there were not a lot of advanced ticket sales, right? So it's not, it's not looking good. Well, lo and behold, there was no sound check that day. They threw out tons of bales of hay onto the field. At about 4 p.m., the sun breaks out. You know what can happen in Florida, right? Jason? Yes. <laughs> and it, it, it's suddenly beautiful, 85 degrees. People start coming in droves. By the hundreds, by the thousands, there ended up being 20,000 people there that night. Oh, wow. You wouldn't believe it. So we go on stage. The crowd is, like, absolutely insane nuts. They've been standing out there drinking beers all this time, right, standing in the hot sun with their shirts off. They're, they're a rock and roll crowd. So, we, you know, we do a great job. Next up comes Jack Scott. He does his thing. He's a little more laid back, so he had a little trouble with some of the crowd, as I remember. Kind of very vivid in my mind still to this day. Freddie Cannon comes up, Tallahassee. They love it. They love it. They love it. Now, here's the good part. I had told the promoter, 
make sure that Chuck goes on on time, because I knew that about him, there could be a little issue if he doesn't get on the time he's supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. And anyhow, <clears throat> what happens is I talked to this band before. They were all excited. They got a big chance to back Chuck Berry. They invited their family and friends to standing on the side. And so we're on the stage now with Freddie Cannon, and no sign of Chuck Berry. All of a sudden, here comes a white Lincoln town car with its lights on. It's Chuck. Pulls up to the side of the stage. He starts hearing the music, and I'm looking out the side of my eye at the same time I'm playing the saxophone, and he's kind of like beating on the dashboard and digging the music and smiling and blah, 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 right? The promoter takes Chuck, goes to, his, goes to Chuck's car, takes him out into the back, into the trailer, rather, which is the dressing room, probably paid him his money because Chuck always just wanted his money in cash up front. That's the way it was. And I don't blame him for that, by the way. <laughs> Anyhow, um, he comes out. The show ends. We, we're all excited to watch Chuck right on the side of the stage. They start getting the stage all ready. And it's about, you know, about 10 minutes before Chuck's to go on. Supposed to go on. And all of a sudden, the promoter comes up to me, waves me in hurriedly in the, back into the trailer, and he says, Tommy, 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 Chuck wants you to back him. He says, you guys know how to boogie. So, oh, my God, what a, what a feeling that was. All of a sudden, now we're back in Chuck Berry. You know, so I really, really felt sorry for the other band because that was their chance of a lifetime. And uh, you know, I just say, well, that's that's rock and roll. But anyhow, Chuck came on on time, and he literally destroyed that audience. I mean, the man has such impeccable timing and uh, just the way just the way he did things. And that's all these guys that I work with, you know, Chubby Checker, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. These guys are just. They're the best. I mean, Elvis Presley, of course, you know, sure. all the Fats Domino, all these guys, they just really, they took the audience first and they did, you know, they always did whatever it took. And that's what it takes to be a great entertainer, Not, no different than a great athlete is, you know, and, you know, a lot of guys can, can play well, they can do this, but they don't have that, whatever that little extra knack is, that anticipation you know, able to read a crowd, all of that. And that's what I try to do. You know, I'm not as good as those guys, but that's the, that's the heart and soul I put into every performance. And I'll tell you, those are some of the most incredible names from that era. That really, they defined the era of rock and roll as we know it now. And, you know, I actually got to see Chuck Berry's home up in uh, Macon, Georgia. It was really cool to see. Uh, you really can't get to it, but you could see it over the hill that, that's up there. And I wanted to go. I wanted to go take a take a uh, a tour of it so badly because I mean it, his music has always uh, been a part of my life ever since and I can I can yeah. remember. And Freddie, I got I, I, I to correct you on that, Jason. Macon would be Little Richard. Macon's Little Richard. Little Richard. Really? Yeah. I thought it was. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was uh, uh, no, Chuck, Chuck Berry. Chuck Chuck is St. Louis. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They made a little thing about Little Richard's house recently. Made a little memorial or or whatever they're doing to it. So. Uh, Okay. I, I know. I know. It, it's very easy to get the names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were both Chubby, so similar, and, and they had such a, uh, they had such a, a charisma about them. It's it, it is easy to get them right. uh, get them um, um, confused. Now very easy. Yep. Now Freddie Boom Boom Cannon didn't he do Where the Action Is? Because that's one of my favorite songs. He did. Freddie did Where the Action Is, and he's he's a very good friend of mine. He's been a little sick recently, and now where I'm living in um, Santa Clarita, California. He's just up the road, about about ninety miles in Oxnard, California, and I want to go have lunch with him. And yeah, he had, he had a lot of great songs. That, 
1959. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long ago was that, right? Yeah. Tallahassee, Lassie, Palisades Park, Where the Action Is, Way Down Yonder, New Orleans. All these great songs. Great so, songs. You know, I hope people. I hope people keep listening to this kind of stuff. You know, the the new stuff is great too. But you know, like building a house, you got to start from the bottom. Well, see, that's what I'm. I've always been worried about, and it's one of the things that I love to talk about here on this on this show is is the classic television, the classic uh, songs and and music. Because you know, you turn on the oldie station right now, what you're getting is late '80s, early '90s. I mean, I know that's been. It's still about thirty something years old, but you know, I don't want our kids. And my kids and my future kids, uh, grandkids, to remember, to, to not know these songs that really define the music that they're hearing today. And I think that's very important to keep in, in reference for them to hear, see, and enjoy. Just that way they have the history of how the music became what it is today. Jason, you hit it right on the head, man. You couldn't be any more perfect. You know, uh, The good thing is... You know, I, I really think it's gonna it's it's gonna hold up just like any great song would, just like the Beatles mm-hmm. do as far as that goes. So I was in yesterday, in fact, a guitar center music store, right? Mm-hmm. I go in and I hear these songs on the on the on the on the on the radio or whatever they're playing from the fifties and sixties. The young guys in back of the counter are singing along with the song. So I mean uh, that was that was very pleasing to see. You know, I I look at my uh my my daughter in law Casey, my son Tommy who, by the way, happens to be the drummer for Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath. Oh, cool. And he's just, he's just, he's just, a, just a great young man, besides. And his, his wife is Casey, but she knows all this music from, from, from then. And even their little daughter, their little daughter G- Junie Grace, who's two years old, and that's one of the reasons I came out here also, because now I'm, now I'm a grandfather, which is that's, that's so much fun. She knows the music, so it's, it's fun all the way around. And yes, you're right, I hope, I hope, you know, it's un- unfortunately with the demographics. You know, a lot of those kids don't remember all of that. But yeah. you know, I-, I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna gonna hang in there and come back and all of that. You know, you talk about song staying power. Well, Chubby Checker's Twist, by the way, was the last however many years Billboard magazine, which is the Bible, right, of right. the business, right, number one song of the last sixty years. Wow. That's counting the Beatles, Hey Jude. Michael Jackson, it's still the number one song. It's kind of hard to believe, but it's, it's absolutely true. He's got the number one song. That was such a phenomenon at the time, you know, between the song and the dance and, and the culture and, and, you know, what it did to people, how it changed a lot of things, how it changed kind of kind of like dancing, rock and roll. And it's, it, it's all part of it. And it's really what, you know, what a lot of the kids are doing today. So, yeah. And that song is so infectious. And that's what I think made it so popular and and his charisma when he got out there and, and sang it and and did the dance and that it, it had its own dance to it which has is still going on today and you know what really kind of shocked me about him i think was the fact that it took him so long uh and i don't i can't remember if he got inducted or not but i know that he was shunned for many many years of getting into the the hall of fame when he, honestly he deserved it you know and it took no, him so long to get there i do you know if he got in it or not i can't remember offhand no he, he's not in it and he, man and he certainly he certainly should be because he yeah. certainly had a profound effect on, you know, the music business as we know it. So, absolutely, so no, he has not been inducted, nor have a lot of other people that deserve to be in. But right. I guess that's a whole that's a whole other program, Jason. Right? That's right? that's right. I mean, we could definitely talk about that one for sure. And you know, fi- finding out that your that your your son uh, is a is a drummer. 
for Ozzy Osbourne if, and, and uh, Black Sabbath. If my brother-in-law found out, he would be freaking out right now. It's his absolute favorite band. <laughs> well, well, guess, well, guess what? They're, they're going to be going back out on tour. Ozzy's doing better now. He's got a new record. They're going back out in May, and I believe the first couple dates are Florida, believe it or not, or the second or third date. So hit me up. You'd be a nice guy. I might hook you up. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> hook your brother up, I should say. Yes, yeah, I mean, so. he would love that. I mean, well, absolute fan of that. I mean, every year we get him, we get him Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne stuff for Christmas, and he's uh, yeah. he is happy as all, can, as all get out. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about all these guys like yeah. you know Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and all these guys. Guess what? Ozzy Osbourne is the exact same. Yes. It's all about the audience. It's all about the crowd. He, he, he'll, he gives himself all of it. My son on drums, he's an animal. He, you know, once you're on that stage, and that, that's what separates the big boys from just whoever, right? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a big boy by no means, but I, I try to give it my all 110% every time, every day, every show. That's it. And that's all an audience can ever ask from an artist. And I think that's what makes it so special to go to these events and make memories with our families and, you know, just, uh, just an experience that we'll never forget ourselves. And, and I think that's what makes this, this, uh, this industry so much fun. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's so much fun. And when, you know, when you see these concerts now, even like a, an Ozzy Osbourne concert or, uh, I mean, who, whoever, you know, a band from the 80s or 90s or, you know, they're there with their kids and sometimes their children, too. So it's, it's interesting what's happening. I mean, all, the biggest groups today, let's face it, are the groups from, what, the 70s, right? right? They're, they're the biggest groups out there that are, that are doing all the numbers and all the big, the big, the big stadiums and all of that. But, uh, you know, their music lives on. So we, we, we hope that we don't lose, you know, the 50s, the 60s, and, and now the 70s because that's, you know, it's, it's the... Uh, it, it's just it's kind of what happens it's just like you know no, i guess nobody listens to glenn miller anymore either do they as far as that goes but, i do <laughs> you know, good for you good you well, know, as long as i'm here and as long as that sh this show's on i'm going to make sure that you know people get to hear some of these songs as much as i can throughout my uh, broadcast so yeah. I, i'm never going to let them die and i don't want anybody else i hope other people will pick that up and and do it the same on their shows as well because i think it's important right on jason i respect you for that man now, sure. speaking of, of uh, you know, mu music careers and, and how you've kind of evolved to where you are now, you have a brand new band called the Black Widow Gr uh, Grease Band. I would love to know the, the, the history, uh, the, the, how you came up with the name of that band, because I think it might have something that's pretty profound. I could be wrong, but I have well, a feeling there's my, something to that name. <laughs> my son actually made up the name, and I got, I got my hat off to my son Tommy again. And again, I, I gotta I gotta bring it up because I'm just so proud of him what he's done. He started playing with my. I just gotta go backwards for a second. He started playing with my band, and we would back all these acts that we're talking about right now: Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, the Monk, Davy Jones of the Monkeys, Lou Christie, Del Shannon. All of these on one show, some like six, seven acts. He was 11 years old doing that. Wow. I mean, most kids are playing hopscotch or whatever they're doing at that. So he had to do that and deal with music, musical directors and charts and egos, and he got, you know, he, he, he was up for the task very, very soon. I mean, he was on those Wolfman Jack tours. You remember him, though? Oh, yeah, I loved him. Yeah, we were on many tours with him, and my son was 11, 12, 13 years old doing all, doing all this stuff. So the bottom line was he was weaned on that kind of music, too. That's my point, is that it was kind of his, his idea to have a name. Again, we're not, we're not going back in time. 
we're kind of a new version of the same thing, kind of sure. like a, a, you know, a, a new version of maybe an old classic car or something like that. That's what we're trying to do. So it's kind of a, kind of a retro kind of thing. I mean, our music is, is you know, if you play a little clip of this song, you'll see it doesn't sound like too much like an old style band. You, there's a lot of energy and 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 rock and roll passion there in the, in the cut. But um, yeah, so so you know, you know. Grease is is greaser, right? Yeah. Remember the greasers, right? There was greasers. There was oh crack, yeah. You know there was there was hippies and beatniks and all that. Come out, you know, on our first show in the first set, we come out. You know, we're we're in the leather jackets. We're in the shades. We're kind of a little more modern version with maybe a bandana and the sunglasses and the and the Converse sneakers and blah blah blah. And I'm doing my thing. So it's it's we got we got a great little show put together, and I'm real proud of the new guys that have. That have come on, you know, most of them are young guys in their twenties and thirties, and they've, you know, they've really stepped it up and, and learned this music because there is definitely an art to playing this kind of rock and roll correctly. You know, I got, you know, and I'm I'm from Detroit where there's guys like Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, Bob Seger, Ted Nugent, who by the way my son played with for three years and started my son in his career, and God bless Ted Nugent. All those guys, all those Detroit rock and rollers, man, they 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 kind of, you know. A lot of them paved the way for what what happened in the seventies and eighties and a lot of these bands. So, um, and I couldn't be prouder of them. And that's what that's what this band is about. Is is uh, you know Tommy C the Black Widow Grease Band. So you talk, you know, it's got a little scary thing to it, but it's it's fun, it's it's refreshing, and uh, we're we're just out there to have a good time and make make sure the audience has fun. That's what it's all about. Now, how different is this band compared to maybe one of your older bands? Is it much different? Is it kind of the same thing with a new twist? Uh, what makes it different? I would say it's a new, it's kind of the same thing with a new twist. And the, the other twist is that I'm in the process not, process now of, of of writing some music, and next year we're going to release some of my own music. That's a little that's a little bit different, but it's it's a little bit of the same and a little bit of new. It's more of a show, I would say, right, mm -hmm. where we have a definite look and we come out and this this is what we look like, kind of thing. So. I would say from that aspect, it's a little bit different. You know, some of the songs have some similarities, etc. But we, you know, but we try to focus on, you know, great music, great show. Everybody has a part. I mean, we're very, 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 very well rehearsed. Mm -hmm. And our, by the way, our first show is this Friday in Santa Clarita, California, at a place called the Canyon Club, and we are opening for the 1970s group Ambrosia. Wow. So that'll be fun. That sounds like a lot, fun. Of fun. Now, a lot of fun. Now, as yeah. far as this band right now, I, I know you, you're saying next year you're going to be releasing some of your own songs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what are you working on now? Do you have any EPs? Do you have any uh, full-length albums? Are you just working on singles? Are you just working on covers? What's your What's your objective for this year? Yeah, brand, right now we've got a brand new CD, at, CD out, and it's um, and L, LP. They call them LPs, and sing, the, the singles, Believe What You Say, and that's an old Rick Nelson song. He made it popular, I'm sure it was the late 50s, maybe 1960, but I think it was the late 50s. It was written by Johnny and Dorothy Burnett, who wrote a lot of music back then. You know, they were kind of like rockabilly guys. So it has, it's rock and roll, but it actually has a little country twinge to it, to it also. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, new, the new album is called Hidden Treasures. It's just songs that I like, to be honest with you. On there is Believe What You Say, Rick Nelson, Can't You See by the Dave Clark Five, Bye Bye Johnny, Chuck Berry. Memphis is a version we do of um, of um, Chuck Berry wrote the song, but we do an instrumental version of it. 
Sleepwalk, Sancho and Johnny, and that features m- myself on the saxophone. So we, we kind of switch it up. We do Slow Down, which is a Larry Williams tune made famous by the Beatles. If you want our love to last, slow down. Help me make it through the night, Chris Christopherson, right? So we kind we kind of go all over the place, you know. Rock you up by the Romantics, which is kind of from the eighties, right? Right. And then we and at the end of the whole of, of the whole set, we do a rock and roll medley where we just rock it out. Good golly, Miss Molly, a little Richard, um, um, couple little Richard songs in there, and then whole lot of shaking going on, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. So it's it's a good little CD. We recorded it in Detroit with a lot of my friends, a lot of guys that were with me there. And uh, I brought it out here to, to L.A. and formed a new band, and I'm excited to tell. Well, it sounds like a fun experience for sure. And uh, to be able to uh, kind of mix those th- that music in there and still make it something, you know, that today's people can enjoy and the, the kids can enjoy, that's that's all that's all that we can ask for. And, and, you know, you're having fun doing it, and, and I think that's awesome. It is. It is that song "Rock You Up." By the way, Romantics. You remember them? Yeah. They're from Detroit. They're from Detroit. Yeah. You know, talking in your sleep and uh, what I like about you. So it's it's got it's got a Detroit connection there. You know, but but the, this first one and the one the single we just released, "Believe What You Say," is a really really strong cut. And uh, you know, I'd I'd love if you maybe spend a couple seconds of it later. That would be awesome. I think we can do that. Um, and I think we're gonna get we're gonna get to that because I do do want to get it up in before the break here. But I do have one question before you go. Actually, I got two sure. that we got to do. Um, first of all, how can people find you? How can people follow you? How can people uh, see what you got on tour, buy your music, and all the other great stuff that goes into this? Oh, it's, we're on everything. I got the I got the social media gal. I got I got Michelle that does all the um, publicity, and it's 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 it's. Uh, I got the website, Facebook. I don't know the name of Facebook. I'm sorry, but. If you, if, you, if you punch in Tommy C. and the Black Widow Grease Band, everything comes up. I know the website is TommyCBWGB.com. That's it. And, the, you know, the, the, and we, got, we got the Facebook and, the, you know, and the bands in town and, and Instagram and all that stuff. I don't know that much about it, truthfully. Like you said, <laughs> I've been in the business 40 years, so I don't know. I don't know how old you are either, Jason. I'm 40. You tell me if you want. I'm You're 40. 40. Actually, okay. I'm 41. I just turned 41. I forgot I had a birthday. <laughs> And you and you still listen to Glenn Miller stuff? How about that? Oh yeah, I listen to Glenn Miller. I've listened to uh, I I listen to to the um, uh, the Andrew Sisters. I I listen to a lot of great stuff. Wow, wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's all hooked together. It's all related. So you just got to carry on that torch, my friend. That's true. And my last question before we get into the song is, and I'd love to hear because you've been you've been doing this for so long. What is your what is your definition of success, and have you reached that yet? And if you haven't, has it evolved? How has it evolved since you started? Yeah, the answer is yes. I have reached it. Success is is doing what you want to do and being the best you can be at all times, and that's all you can ask for is your health and your wellness, and and just be the best you can be. So if I go out there and there's 27 people. I'm going to give it my all every time, and they're going to get that same show, 10 or 10,000. That, that's success. So, yeah, yeah. If, if you think about success, you got to have a number one record. you got to have this. You're going to be sadly disappointed because, because life is ups and downs like a, like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you know, I'm never going to have that kind of success. Guess what? I'm going to be successful Friday night because I know, I know when we go out there, those people are going to get jolted with electrical shock. And they're, and they're going to feel it, right? 
Sure. And I got I got my band thinking that way now too. And that that to me is success. That's exciting. Success is doing better the next time. Keep striving to be a better person, to be a better performer all the way around. That's success. And yes, I'm successful. Well, Tommy, I'll tell you what. This has been a very fun interview. I don't get to talk to too many people that know those type of names and can talk the music that I love and, and still grew up with and still continue to listen to today. And uh, continuing on with, the, with, your, with your career, kind of you know, still living your dream. And I love that. And we cannot, uh, we, we wish you all the best going into 2020 and cannot stress enough how much we want you to, to continue to succeed in this. And uh, hopefully, if you ever come to Florida, we will definitely stop in and uh, check you out. Well, guess what, Jason? We are going to come. We're doing first few shows are going to be all in California. And then we're all ready. We got the tour bus. We're ready to go. We're going to start working our way eastward. So, yeah, you're, you're going to be seeing us out there. And, and, and uh, Jason, I can't thank you enough for your hospitality on the air and I, I appreciate your time thanks for having me on and, and keeping it alive thank you absolutely and guys here is the song as i promised we're not gonna we're not gonna leave you high and dry enjoy it have some fun go check out his website when you're, when you're done listening to this we're gonna go to commercial break after the song we'll be right back after this have fun everybody
the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends. Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> Hi, I'm Serena Vincent, and you're listening to the A&E Radio Show. When I think back on all the crap I learned in high school It's a wonder I Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have a great guest on the line, and we are excited to talk to her because she is an artist, a filmmaker, an educator, and she's got a lot of stuff going on in her life, and she's got some art projects to kind of work in with the, with the film that we're going to be talking to her about today. And, you know, I love when, when work can literally transpond into different ways and shapes and forms that we can all enjoy and how they cross-promote each other. And we're going to be talking to her about all of this and more. Uh, her, her new short film is called Eleanor of Illinois. And uh, she's going to be telling, telling us about this, what makes her so passionate about what she does, and so much more. Welcome, Danielle, to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's going great. I'm glad you're able to join us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm having doing well. So uh, I guess the best way to start this off was uh, to learn a little bit about you. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into arts. What type of arts are you involved with? And uh, what made you decide you wanted to make a short film? Oh, yes. Well, I've been an artist, basically. Um, I've identified as an artist, I guess, since I was about six years old. But I've been professional now for almost 20 years. But I, actually, my background is mostly in really intensive forms of paper collage and also kind of large-scale interactive sculpture. Even though um, movies were always my first love and I was a cinema studies major in college, for a long time I made more kind of traditional art objects in my practice. And it's only in the last few years that I realized I wanted to transition to filmmaking. Um, and this project, Eleanor of Illinois, is um, really the first sort of like high-level professional kind of short film piece I've made. Um, and the inspiration comes from a lot of places, but I would say primarily it comes from my obsession as a little kid with a film called The Lion in Winter. Hmm. Now, it's a six-minute film, which is pretty... you right. you got to get a lot of stuff in six minutes. How did, you, how did you come up with this concept, and how did you make everything that you wanted to, to get into this film in... To the film within six minutes? It's a great question. You know, um, six minutes is tight, yes. right? This was a one-day shoot, so we had to get it right, and we had to get it all in one day. Um, you know, when I was thinking about this film and how I wanted to plan it, I was thinking a lot about this film, The Lion in Winter, which mm -hmm. is a film from the late 60s that stars Catherine Hepburn as sort of the Queen of England. <laughs> and I realized that even though it was a film about a medieval royal family, the film had 
so many similarities to my family and the way that I grew up. Really, it's a movie about a kind of dysfunctional, wealthy clan getting together for a family holiday and fighting it out over who loves who and who gets to inherit what. And even though I'm from a Jewish family in Chicago, all of that was really familiar to me. Um, I come from a well-to-do family. My great-grandfather was a really successful businessman. And a lot of the dynamics that I saw around the table at my family's sort of gatherings, even though they were Jewish gatherings, not Christian ones like in The Line of Winter, um, it was just so recognizable to me. So when I was thinking about making my first short film, I realized what I really wanted to do was take that Catherine Hepburn performance as Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine and actually sort of use it as the inspiration for this new character that I was creating called Eleanor of Illinois. Um, And believe it or not, I worked with sound designers for over a year to create an audio monologue of a contemporary Jewish mom in Catherine Hepburn's voice for this film. So we cut up everything Catherine says in the original film. We created words out of sounds that she uttered. And together, um, over the course of a year, we made a six-minute audio monologue. And in the film, this incredible Broadway actress, Judy Kuhn, actually speaks in tandem with that monologue. So you hear Hepburn, but you also hear Judy. Um, So those six minutes were born of a year's work to somehow kind of create Catherine Hepburn's voice into a Jewish monologue. That's how the film really got started. Wow. So this is almost like a wedding. You literally had to plan a year to two years to literally throw something together that would last about 15 minutes and, and get it all in that, in that right time and make sure everything goes off smoothly. I would say for these six minutes mm-hmm. that the audience is going to, is going to see, um, I, the whole process from start to finish was probably two and a half years. Wow, that's crazy. And you, you wouldn't expect it with something like that. You know, when people see a six-minute film, they probably think, okay, maybe you worked on it about six to eight months to, to lay it out right, but that's crazy. And, and right. you know, that just, that just astounds me with the, with the amount of work that, that you were able to put into it, and that makes, that makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? You know, it really does. I think, um, I think any ambitious art piece that you make, I really think of this as a piece of video art, um, mm-hmm is a, a profound act of optimism, right? You have this fantasy and this clarity of vision of what you want to make and how you want it to look and feel and a hope that people will get to see it and enjoy it. And the hardest part in some ways is just taking that optimistic leap, right? Mm-hmm. And hoping that you will be able to execute what you wanted to make and, and hopefully if you're lucky that people will be able to see it and respond to it. So, um, you know, it, you never know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you never, you never know, know. But, I, but I feel so blessed that um, this time, those two and a half years totally were worth it, uh, that I did get to make the thing that I wanted to make, and it will be premiering in New York soon. So it worked out, but I think it's always a wish and a big leap. Well, you know, that's the one thing I love about art is that you got to take the leap. you got to have faith in yourself. you got to just put it out there, and if it's something that you're passionate about, it will show in the work. You know, I think a lot of people in the arts, and I talk to a lot of them, a lot of the times they didn't jump into the thing because they were second-guessing themselves. And they were questioning their sure. own abilities, and they're like, well, what if this isn't good? But unfortunately, what they have done is literally talk themselves out of it. And, you know, that's where I see a lot of this amazing talent and these great ideas fall to the wayside because they literally come up with every excuse why they shouldn't do it. Oh, it's so true. It's so easy to psych yourself out, right? We're all our worst critics. I mean, I remember when I was starting this process, and imagine me, like, literally 
I was dia- I was making diagrams of everything Catherine Hepburn says in The Lion in Winter and then making uh, codes for whether she was speaking outside or inside. I mean, I was spending months just dissecting her dialogue. And I remember thinking sometimes during that process, is anyone even going to be interested in this? <laughs> you know, here I am obsessively sort of diving into this one film performance. And, you know, it's really easy to psych yourself out. But what I always think about as an artist, you know, I've been an artist for a while now, is that I think really the name of the game, the thing that differentiates people who go for it and people who don't, the word is permission. Yeah. You have to find a path toward permission for yourself. Um, otherwise, I agree with you, brilliant ideas and incredible potential makers just don't get there because they haven't found that permission yet. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Now, as an artist, I'm sure that you've done some things that haven't worked out and you've gotten a lot of no's yourself. That's not necessarily a failure, though. That's right. No is a huge part of the process. Um, and it takes a long time to integrate that into your understanding of your career, right? That yeah. we all here know. You know, it's so funny because just the other day, I was watching an interview with Martin Scorsese, and, you know, undeniably, one of the great filmmakers living at end of all time, he still hears no. Oh, yeah. Right? He still has studios who won't fund projects. He still has people who want to get in the way of what he wants to make. It was such a humbling, important reminder to me and to all of us who are artists and makers that no is part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that If you're not hearing no, then you aren't asking. Yeah. And you aren't right. doing it right either because you get you got to hear some notes. But the, I think the biggest part of that is not taking it so personal because they're not necessarily saying no because they don't like you. They're just saying no because either they just don't have it, um, you're not the right fit for whatever they're coming up with, or you're just not the right compa- the, the right person for that particular whatever uh, project you're working on. So that just means you got to keep looking. It's like fishing. Yeah, I think that's right. But but isn't it an interesting kind of contradiction? Because as artists, mm-hmm. what are we really doing? We're Putting ourselves into it. Our most, yeah, we're taking our most intimate, vulnerable self, and we're putting it out there. And you have to do that. Otherwise, the work won't feel truthful. The work won't feel real. And then you somehow have to also remember that that no isn't about you. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a hard combo to hold. Um, but I also think that it's possible and that... Um, and that as artists, it's part of the job is to, under, is to come to understand that if you can. Doesn't mean the nose feel great. <laughs> right? No, they don't. The nose, the nose still hurt. But hopefully over time, you come to understand that it really isn't personal, that your work is personal, yeah. but the rejection is not. Now, looking at a six-minute film, I'm sure that, you know, what, first of all, anybody that's going to do anything in, in the film industry, whether, whether it be, um, you know, coming up with the idea and creating it themselves or having it funded by a major studio, the biggest thing that you have to worry about is money. And, you know, coming up with the money that you need for the, the props, you need the, the writers, you need everything that, that gets put together into that, and it can be quite expensive. So I'm sure trying to sell a six-minute film to get the money that you need to raise wasn't easy. Well, it's a, I'm so glad that you asked that question because um, this film, Eleanor of Illinois, is part of a larger series that I'm making called Bounty. Okay. And all of these pieces are about the psychological and political complexities of American Jewish wealth. That's the experience I come from, and that's what I make work about. Okay. And in the past, I really was working in much more of a traditional market system where I would make collages or sculptures or whatever I was making, and I would sell them in galleries. And the work was never really about 
my lived experience of coming from sort of the Jewish 1%. With this new series, I really wanted to get honest and talk about what I know and what I've noticed from that experience. And so it was politically and personally important to me that I actually fund this piece myself. Okay. So I had to take it out of my savings, and, you know, that was a big decision. It wasn't a decision I took lightly, right? But um, one of the reasons I'm making this work is because I feel that I'm so blessed and privileged to have come from this experience that I can actually talk about the complications of American wealth in a very specific way. And part of what that's about for me is also funding the projects on my own. Um, but I know that I'm in an extremely lucky, exceptional position to be able to do that. I am surrounded by filmmakers who have to claw and fight and beg and pray for every dime that supports their film. Um, I just happen to be making work about this subject because I come from this subject. But you know what I love most about this whole situation is that when you literally did that, um, you are literally putting yourself into it. You're at risk. Your money's at risk. So you're going you're gonna to right. want to do twice as much to make it work than if for some reason... Um, you, you, you get the money from other places. So literally, you are invested in this more than most people are, and you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that money was well invested. Well, I will tell you, um, I, I the, <laughs> my, my joke about making this movie is that it's the closest I'll ever come to a, a kind of traditional American wedding. You know, mm -hmm. my husband and I actually got married at City Hall, so we did it very low-key and not expensive at all. For this project, for Eleanor of Illinois, I had one day, I had to pay for it myself. It was the most expensive thing I had ever paid for in my life, and it had to go perfectly. Yeah. That's a wedding. <laughs> that is a wedding. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so you're right. I mean, it definitely um, had a specific level of investment and anxiety for me because it was sort of my financial skin in the game. Uh, but I think, you, you know, regardless of that, it's also that the subject matter um, exploring the complexities of American Jewish wealth is so specific and personal to me yeah. that, it, you know, it also, um, it also just really resonated and felt honestly vulnerable. You know, I remember on our shooting day, this sort of dizzying, you know, I don't know what it was, 12 or 14 or 16 hour day, whatever it was, I wept multiple times with gratitude that this thing was finally being made that I had thought and, and, and sort of dreamed about for so long, but also just really recognizing the story in front of me as sort of the story I come from. Um, it was a really tender, ex ex brilliantly exciting day in that mm -hmm. way, if that makes sense. It does. It absolutely does. So what, I've, what I'm interested in is when you come up with a, with a movie, um, you know, you definitely have to be able to get out in front of the people, and you have to have some type of a plan. Otherwise, literally, what's it, what it's like is a website that, um, you know, it, it could be a great website, but if nobody knows about it, it's simply a deserted island. And it could have like a five-star uh, hotel on this island, and, and all the amenities that people would love, but if nobody's there, nobody comes. So, you know, with YouTube and all these other platforms, you do have a lot more options than back in the day when you had to go to a studio to literally get yourself distributed and, and in front of people. So what was your plan to get this in front of people? You know, it's, it's a really interesting question for this particular film piece because I do think of it as both sort of like a short film in the traditional sense, but also a piece of video art. So one of the things I had to grapple with was, um, was I going to try to show it in kind of a more of a fine art space initially or try for the festival circuit, which is totally new for me. Um, and I decided to try for the festival circuit in part because 
you know, one of the things about being a visual artist is that most of the time you don't get to see people experience your work. Mm-hmm. If you're really lucky, someone might write you an email and say, I saw the exhibition, it was great. But with this film piece, with this short film, I really wanted the experience of um, getting to see it with a live audience, getting to feel that in the room. So I'm so lucky that the New York Jewish Film Festival um, accepted it. It's going to have its U.S. premiere there on January 26th. It's a Sunday at 8 p.m. And so I'm actually going to get to sit and sort of watch it with, you know, lots of people. Uh, That's why that, that particular route won out for me, even though I do have more of a history and more connections for sure in more traditional art spaces. Mm-hmm. It just felt really exciting to see it on the on a huge screen with a big audience. So that's why I decided to, to really invest in that strategy. Well, and I'll tell you what, that's probably going to be one of the most intense things to actually be able to see is your, is your work in a theater with people sitting there and enjoying it. And, you know, it, it's kind of like... It's kind of like seeing, you know, your your music video if you're a musician on on Times Square for the first time, you know. Right. It's one of those type of things. It, it's something you'll never forget. Really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be surreal and exciting and and totally new for me. Mm-hmm. So I would love to be able to ask one of the most important questions about this whole interview is how can people find the movie? You know, how can people find out more about what you're doing? follow your art and everything else. Cause I mean, that's one of the whole, you know, reasons that we're talking about this today. Oh, thank you so much. Well, people can absolutely go to my website, uh, Danielle My last name is D U R C H S L A G Danielle com. There are always updates there. If you're in the New York area, there are still some tickets available for the screening um, the night of January 26th at the New York Jewish Film Festival at Lincoln Center. And I actually will be participating in a Q&A after the film. Um, and then beyond that, you can always look for updates on my website or on my Instagram account, which is at ddurch, which is D-D-U-R-C-H. That's where I'm always going to put updates about where it's showing, when it's showing, and, and how you can check out my other stuff. Well, Danielle, I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of fun already, and I only got a few minutes left. I was going to talk to you about your re- the rest of your art, so we've got about three minutes. I'd love to learn about that okay. as well, because I think that's very important. It's part of you, and we definitely want to be able to talk about that. So tell me about some of the other stuff that you love to do. Sure. Well, right now, um, I'm not only making live-action films, but I'm also making video collage pieces as part of Bounty, this series that I've been talking about. And what I mean by that is I'm taking really beautiful examples of sort of um, films from from throughout film history, everything from like 1927 to present day film. And I am recutting films that portray American family wealth as to make them into Jewish stories. So for example, you know, the age of innocence, Martin Scorsese. I have a four version, a four minute version that's a video collage called the age of Lefkowitz, where I have recut part of the film And using voice actresses and animation and sound design, I've changed it into the story of a wealthy Jewish family Mm. instead of what it traditionally was, which was the story of a wealthy Wasp family. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm working on those, and clips of those are available on my website. And I'm also working on some sculpture as part of the Bounty series right now, too. So basically, in my career at this moment, I'm using all the tools I sort of have to grapple with this same idea, which is sort of, you know, what happens when a tribal community that has historically been victimized, like Jews, comes into some abundance, as we have in this country in the 20th century. Um, How does a community change? 
what are their mores and rituals when that happens. Um, basically, the theory of the whole series that runs through the sculpture and also the video pieces is that American Jewish wealth is really a form of wasp drag. Mm-hmm. That when families like mine came into wealth in the 1940s and 50s, they really took on the aesthetics and the rituals and the culture of sort of the wasp class, because that's what wealth was in this country at the time. And I'm always making new kinds of work that's grappling with that idea of sort of Jewish wasp drag. Wow, that's very interesting. I love I love the concept, too. And, um, you know, it, the, the, the way that we live as societies all the way across the world, not just here in the United States, fascinates me. You know, I love learning about different cultures. I love learning about people and how they got to what they where they are. I love their stories, uh, even if mm-hmm. even if it maybe it, it may not be like the best uh, story. Like you know, the, a guy came up and was homeless and he got you know founded and now he's like a superstar on, on on a movie. I just love hearing people's stories and I think it's so fascinating and it, I, it helps me become more well-rounded. I understand people. I, you know, I get to I get to uh, learn a little bit about them along the way and I think that's a phenomenal you know, uh, experience for myself. Oh, listen, that's the gift of storytelling, and that's mm-hmm. why we all love film so much, right? That's I mean, right. to get to slip into another person's experience that intimately and that viscerally, I can't think of a better gift. Mm-hmm. Well, Danielle, we are running out of time. I had so much fun. The time just completely flew by, and that means I was I having know. fun. So <laughs> we. I definitely got to get you back on and talk about more of this stuff because I know we could really probably go deep into some of the the, the history of it and some of the storylines about it too that I think people would really enjoy. But let's let's ta- give them a little taste of this with the with this movie, and we'll get you back on in a couple of weeks to talk about some of the other ones that you got coming out and some of the some of the uh, stories oh, behind I love it. That. Thank I would you too. so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, guys, that was Danielle Derslock, and she's talking about her new movie, The Eleanor of Illinois. I encourage everybody to check it out. Check out her stuff, too. Go to her website, see what else she's got for art. You might find something you like. And unfortunately, though, we are running out of time. I have to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have more. Don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Hey, I'm Michael Rosander, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. Whatever it is I do, I try to think about you. I have a love for you, but nothing hides. Whatever it is I do, I'm always thinking of you. I hope you look at me, you patient eyes.
All right. Welcome back, everybody. We're about ready to close out the show. Join us again next week, same time, same channel, amfm247.com, every Friday at 10 p.m. and every Saturday at 5 p.m. You can find us on wklap.com every Friday at 11 a.m. and every Saturday at 7 p.m. You can find us on radiolove.com every Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also find us on iHeart, iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, and more. And if you need that, just go to our website, go to the Find Us tab, and it's all right there for you. So until then, keep those creative juices flowing. We'll be back again with more great guests next week. Good night, everybody. That's the end? We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.